0: Hello and welcome to another episode of our 20 minute playbook series, where each week we sit down with an elite performer from iconic founders to world-renowned investors and best-selling authors to dive into the ideas, frameworks, and strategies that got them to the top of their field and keep them there today, all in less than 20 minutes. I'm Daniel Scrivener, and on the show today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Ilya Polosukin, co-founder of Near Protocol. NIR is a layer one blockchain that's incredibly fast, has very low transaction fees, and is climate neutral, in part because of its proof of stake model. It's traded on crypto exchanges under the ticker symbol NIR and has a market cap of just under $5 billion today. From 2020 through 2021, the developers working in NIR's ecosystem that's everyone building applications on top of their blockchain quadrupled, making NIR the second fastest growing chain behind only Solana. In this episode, Ilya shares why he loves running daily and how it helps him remember to just put one foot in front of the other to accomplish anything. Why he loves the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and how he applies that principle in his life and work. Why he's fascinated with the concept of a social graph and how to build it into the near protocol and why it's so important for building a better world in Web3 why he thinks everyone should find mentors that are two to three years ahead of them in terms of where they'd like to be, and why he'd tell his younger self to focus on speed and velocity, shipping quickly in everything that he does. You can find the show notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 111. That's episode 111. And you can follow Ilya on Twitter at ilblackdragon. With that, let's dive in and hear Ilya Pusukin's 20-minute playbook. Ilya, thank you so much for joining me again on 20 Minute Playbook. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. So this should be fun. In the next 20 minutes, I'll ask you, you know, 10 simple questions. And the idea is to try to learn as much about you and um, a bit more about your background and obviously we just spent you know a lot of time diving into what you're building at near for anyone uh, that's listening, go and check out near.org. Um, and I'll share at the end of this, a way to go and listen to that interview, but it was fascinating. We always start by asking for a recent fascination. What have you been fascinated by? What have you been thinking about recently that you can't get out of your brain?
1: I mean, honestly, social graph, uh, how to design social graph in web three. I think Between Elon Musk and Twitter call situation, and then kind of from our side, like with with Unchained Fund, it's been a very needed component. Like what is, is because like even for when you think of engaging with someone, if you have their Twitter, you can go and see who else is following them, you know, what they're saying. Like you have this kind of interesting context on the person, which right now you don't like anywhere else, like if you go on Telegram. And at the same time, it's, you know, fully controlled by Twitter. You know, it's, you know, somebody can close their person's account.
0: They don't open that up and let you use it the way you'd like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, yeah. Like how do we transport that, make it programmable as well? Like for developers to build on. And then at the same time, how do we do it? Right. Like, because building is, it's challenging to build for scale, but it's possible. Getting people to use it is way harder. Right. And so, really trying to figure out what are the techniques we can use to get people to use something that's decentralized that has kind of this inherent values, but maybe doesn't have face value, you know, that people will start using right away. So, there's some ideas that I have that I'll be sharing soon. That's so cool. And
0: I'm guessing that would show up as a primitive that anyone in the near ecosystem could use in whatever they're building. Exactly.
1: I mean, potentially any ecosystem. Yeah. It's it's really kind of generic primitive. I mean, it uses near account model just as a basis, but.
0: That would be so cool to be able to have, I mean, even just as a developer, to be able to have that as as a tool that you can freely be able to use, I think would be amazing. When you think about you know, business leadership, and I know that might sound a little bit silly, but at the end of the day, you founded, I think, a really important project. You're still a big force in building it. So when you think about that, you know, building near all the things that you do. What do you think of as your superpowers? Obviously you have a very technical background. You obviously now do a lot of non-technical work, (laughs) just connecting people, helping spur innovation and, and people in the, you know, the ecosystem. What are your superpowers and how do you use those daily?
1: Originally it was a lot of context switching, and I mean it still is. So I think like when we're building the protocol and also doing five you know, like building layer one is pretty much an impossible task. Like I Really, like every every single time I see new people trying to build their one, I'm like, well, uh, <laughs> um, and so you need you need to switch context a lot, right? Like, you know, I would be like debugging some core protocol code, and then answering to someone about like a fundraise, and then you know signing some legal documents, and then. Uh, discussing, you know, how do we, like, set up a foundation and, and all this. And so it was just continuous. Uh, and so I'm I'm doing less of, like, coding side, but a lot more than now. I just work with a lot of projects at the same time. Kind of, uh, you know, potentially, like, 20 projects in one week, uh, having calls with them, trying to help them and understand what they're doing. I think the the fact that I'm technical, that I do know how protocol works, is obviously allows me to be creative with solutions, right? So... In a way, kind of allowing, like suggesting people new ideas and and, and ways how they can build on top of NIR or like how they can use NIR for their problems. Yeah, those, those two are the main ones.
0: No one's ever mentioned context switching, but it makes total sense, especially in the context of what you described. Having to, you know, when you're, yeah, leading a project that has a bunch of different pieces, you obviously need to have that as an ability. I want to ask a question around mentors or, you know, figures that that you've learned from. So these can be like explicit mentors, people that you've worked with that you just admire and you learn a lot from. It can be people you don't even know, but that you're kind of drawn from inspiration. What, you know, can you share mentors or figures that have had an impact on you and what you learned from them or the mark that they had on you?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been a few people. I I would say that kind of at Google, like all my managers were a very interesting, very different people, uh, which I've learned a lot from, and all of them went out to start their own company. Actually, uh, very, very all of the, all like it was three different managers. All of them have very successful company right now, <laughs> and so yeah, like really learning a wide variety from you know how to approach management of other people, how to approach kind of um, this very like more technical. Leadership as well, and so that's this is three different people. Uh, so like those things have been really fundamental. I think the for the past year, I've I've had a uh, a mentor who's been kind of very helpful, and I think kind of general general sense. I mean, more of a recommendation of everybody else is find someone who's kind of you know few years ahead of you, like not too far, but like two three years ahead of you, because those are people who still remember what they were doing in your position. And so they will be able to give you the most kind of uh you know useful advice. And so and and you can work with them kind of more uh, closely on that. And so that's yeah, been been doing that. It's been very helpful um and kind of powerful. I'm not big on kind of, you know, uh idols uh where you're like, oh, you know, that person is, you know, my idol type of thing. Some people are interesting. I've you know I've read a lot of biographies of other people, but it's more of a like either you know situational, like how to resolve some situation, or kind of is their goals and interests are you know something that I should incorporate, right? That that's kind of the things the the way I think about it. Yeah.
0: Well, that's great advice as well, too, to find somebody who's two to three years ahead in big part because they still remember what it's like to be where you are now. And they can obviously help you in that state. They can help you figure out what to do next. That's really powerful advice. Is there a favorite quote or anecdote you have about being a founder or engineer? or um, And, you know, and this, typically the idea here is, is there, you know, kind of a euphemism? Is there a point of view? Is there a quote you use to remind yourself? Obviously for you, you're a founder, you're, you know, a technologist, you're an engineer, you have a bunch of different kind of inputs. Is there anything there? Is there kind of a point of view or a quote that you remember or you draw inspiration from? Besides the keep calm and build on that <laughs> you obviously shared? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the uh, there's there's this um, pretty much in in Ru Internet there's this kind of uh, funny quote which is "You're a developer," uh, which which people use every time is like, "Well, why my computer doesn't work? Why can't you fix it? You're a developer," and so uh, I just love using that because it kind of encompasses this this idea that people just put a label on things and then kind of just use that label independent of the context and not thinking of like what is the specific things are. And I think just like remembering to not do that and remembering that like how actually detrimental can that be is important. And yeah, that's, I don't know, for, for me, every time I use it, it's kind of find a uh, interesting, like sarcasm in that. <laughs>
0: It's so funny. I can only imagine how many of the 5,000 Telegram groups you shared earlier, you've probably shared that in. <laughs> I want to start next with, you know, a little bit of a retrospective kind of question. And, and with this, you know, the idea is, the question that I want to ask is if you could go back to the start of your career and you could give yourself a piece of advice, or you could just whisper words of wisdom, or maybe it's even just a reminder that you'd give yourself back when you were first getting started, is there anything you would tell yourself and what would you tell yourself and why?
1: I mean, ship fast. Honestly, that's that's the main thing. It's like, I mean, I think it's, yeah, velocity, it will be hard. Uh, That's like, it's not easy. It will be hard, but you, you know, it's, it's about perseverance at that point. And then yeah, velocity is always the important piece because it's also like, if you don't have velocity, then you lose momentum. You yourself then feel down as well. And so like velocity is also kind of allows you to kind of overcome some of the, your own mental blocks.
0: Yeah. I love that. It feels like, you know, maybe the sports analogy would be train hard, but if you're building something, it's just ship fast, ship fast. It's the same, <laughs> same general idea. If you had to distill down your philosophy of building a company and, and, Obviously, just to be super clear, you know, Near is not a company. It's a decentralized project at this point. So maybe a a better phrased as if you had to distill your philosophy of building a great decentralized project or decentralized ecosystem, what would that be? And how would you try to boil that down into a few words?
1: High level, small, agile teams that are kind of aligned on a single vision, aligned on a single kind of global goal but are able to execute independently and so the funny part is it's not actually that different from amazon's and so (laughs) and to some extent some other some other successful companies uh but yeah i think like for ecosystem it's especially true is that by by kind of decentralizing you're able to execute faster because you have more of this different kind of nodes in the ecosystem, right? They kind of running with their own speed, but then they're all independent. They can work together and they'll work together when it makes sense. But at the same time, they don't need to. And so that leads for them to to be able to run faster. And like coming from Google where, you know, you, you actually have a lot of the same concepts of like open source internally. Like internally, everyone can see everybody's code. You can kind of contribute to it. You can build on top of each other's services but you know you need to get into this kind of company to be to be able to participate in that but because of this you kind of have this like very closed mindset in the sense that you have so much stuff internally that it's really kind of hard to go outside it's hard to listen to a customer it's hard to work with somebody externally and so a lot of the philosophy that I really want in the ecosystem obviously it's you know it's evolving beyond me in many ways is this open open Google model, right? It's like the same kind of, you know, everybody shares the same goals, so there's the same, you know, culture, but it's open anybody can join. And also as a person who's working on any of this kind of teams, you're open to ideas, open to working with you know, users and this community. And so in turn, you like not fixed into like, hey, I need to work with this other team on doing blah, Like if that doesn't make sense, right? You can always uh, kind of uh, do something differently.
0: Yeah. I love that way of describing it. It's like the open Google model, which obviously makes sense when you share some of that context. And I love too using the word node because obviously in the blockchain sense, it kind of works, you know, you've got nodes in terms of computers and compute power, but you know, there's also the kind of human, aspect of what you're building in the ecosystem and having a bunch of nodes that can all make independent decisions but are aligned on where they're going it's super powerful is there a book article or paper that you love that you think more people should read and obviously we're you know we're talking about crypto you can point to a specific crypto paper if you really if that's it uh, you can also just share a general book and it can even be one of those biographies what uh, what comes to mind
1: extreme ownership listening audiobook
0: that's a good, <laughs> that's a very good one. And that really makes sense for the decentralized model. I want to ask one more question. I typically don't do this. What, was that a major, uh, I don't know, input or an inspiration that you drew on when you were thinking about this decentralized community and ecosystem you're building? Or is this more just around near in particular or just a general philosophy?
1: You mean the book? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. No, I think it's more a general philosophy. I think generally the people who take on ownership of things become owners. And in a way, like, I mean, I think in the decentralized world, it's it's more important than in centralized world, because in centralized world, it kind of all rolls up to, you know, potentially the final owner, to CEO or to whatever. In the centralized world, you don't have final owner, right? So in a way, every person or every, you know, of this kind of sub, project or what a regional hub or whatever is an owner of themselves. And so they need to take on ownership in a way for the whole ecosystem. And so that's important, I think, to, to propagate that as a culture. Uh, but I think it's important even in, I mean, f- as they shown in the book, it's important even in a very centralized entity like army to have that. Yes. <laughs> and so. Uh...
0: Yeah. It pairs really well, well with, um, I'm right now in the middle of, uh, skin in the game by Nassim Taleb. Uh, and you know, it's, he's a polarizing figure. Some people like him, some people don't like him. I think the fact that he wrote an entire book examining skin in the game and, you know, cause it's very tightly coupled with extreme ownership. It just saying, you know, if you have to share both on the upside and downside of your decisions, you're obviously, you know. You're going to make much better decisions (laughs) and you're going to, I think, approach things very differently. Okay. A few final questions. One, is there a tiny habit or practice that you do that has had had a positive impact on your life? Or maybe is there a tiny habit that has had the most positive impact on your life? This can be meditation, can be starting out your day in a certain way. What comes to mind?
1: I mean, my my start of the day is pretty boring. Just get a, you know, a coffee. Uh, (laughs) I think nothing super like can point out. I think running is probably one of those things that is definitely a, like, you know, I think a lot of people hate running, including me, but the process of, you know, one step at a time is true about everything. And so running is kind of a really good example of that where, you know, it's, yeah, you want to run this like long distance marathon, half marathon, whatever, but it's still one at one at a time. It's one step at a time. So it's the same, you know, if we're building a company, if we're building a project, building anything, you know, yeah, your vision is huge, but you know, you need to do things one one step at a time. So not not be afraid of that.
0: Yeah. I love I love that for you it's got like a philosophical <laughs> intake. What um, is your favorite way to waste an hour? And I think what we're getting at there is like a guilty pleasure and, and, you know, it can be a nerdy guilty pleasure. It can be reading. It can be what comes to mind and what's your favorite way to waste
1: an hour. So for a while I was doing, uh, reading a lot of kind of science fiction, fantasy type of, uh, uh, books and, uh, yeah, usually like to, to, to limit my waste time. So I don't like spend whole night reading. I would read one chapter at a time from, so there's like this websites where authors actually publish one chapter per some period of time. And so you read like few books in parallel, one chapter at a time. And so you like limit the scope of your, <laughs> of your time <laughs> because the book doesn't exist yet. <laughs> yes, that's right. So you're yeah. literally
0: getting it in real time. It's almost like block by block, yeah. chapter by chapter. Right.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> Do you have a favorite science fiction book? book?
1: I mean a lot of science fiction I read in, is in uh Russian and so there, there is uh like Monday Stars on Friday um book, uh or Monday Stars on Saturday, uh which is kind of a classic Stanis uh, uh Brothers uh book from kind of classic uh Russian science fiction. There's a really interesting book, which probably that one, I mean, this one is already probably, uh, I don't know how many people know, but there's some that I really like, which there's no English translation, so it doesn't really matter. But yeah, I think so far the if we talk about like kind of hard science fiction, the Russian one has been <laughs> better quality than, uh, I mean, uh, to be clear, I, I like the Highline, I like all this as well, like Asimov is really good. I mean, Foundation is obviously a, uh, really good. Um, but yeah, kind of, uh, there's definitely something about Russian language because it's so much richer actually that, you know, still gets me hooked.
0: Do you think that that would ever be successful to try to translate that to English? Or do you think it would be a, a significant challenge?
1: <laughs> I think some things are translated, but I think the problem is it's kind of a combination of, I mean, I think like Strugatsky's problem is that it's like it's a previous era, it's USSR era science fiction. It's like the context there is probably will be lost now. Even I think like just like I'm I'm already probably last generation that was understanding what was going on there. I think the part of it is also just like again from my perspective English is very like to the point, which is great for business. It's an amazing language for business. Like even with my uh, kind of Russian speaking Ukrainian speaking colleague who sometimes speak English just to get to the point, <laughs> but yeah, because it's just like, like the terminology is present. Sure. All, like there's no, no terminology. And, uh, but from perspective of like kind of describing a scene and creating this like feel of presence, I feel Russian has kind of more power. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm not so cool.
0: I, I hope at some point it gets translated hope semi successfully. So I can read it. <laughs> we'll see. Last question, uh, what is the most important lesson you've learned so far in life or business? So if you just had to have one takeaway to share with people.
1: One step at a time is... is, uh... You know it's it's universally the same as, like applicable. its velocity keeps shipping one step at a time it <laughs> all the same <laughs> it all points
0: to each other it's like self-referencing <laughs>
1: exactly
0: yeah <laughs> well thank you so much that's the perfect note to end on everyone listening watching uh you can learn more about what Ilya has been building along with a many 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 others uh for the last four plus years uh, which is near protocol at near.org you can also follow them on near.protocol you can join uh, their chat um, at near.chat and if you're a developer listening you can jump in and learn more in near developer docs at docs.near.org and you can also follow Ilya on Twitter um, you share a bunch of great stuff at IL Black Dragon, which is a great handle by the way so thank you so much Ilya I appreciate the time thank you Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 111. That's episode 111. For more from Ilya, listen to episode 108, where he joins me on our incredible founder series to go deep on the near protocol, which is valued at just under $5 billion today and is the second fastest growing blockchain behind only Solana. In that episode, we cover why proof-of-stake beats proof-of-work, including why Ilya is always looking to build technology that's more efficient, being able to do more with less, how Near approached scaling, and why they went through three separate designs, all of which failed before arriving at the sharding method that they use today. How NIR is building a global decentralized community that includes regional hubs located around the world from Europe to Africa, all of which include their own accelerators, developer grants, community education, and events. What it's like to found a project and take it from a small centralized team to a decentralized community of hundreds of thousands of people located around the world. And how Ilya raised more than 10 million to help fund aid in war torn Ukraine through his Unchained Fund. You can also find videos of all of our interviews on YouTube at youtube.com slash outlier On our channel, you'll find all of our full length interviews as well as our favorite short clips from every episode, including this one. So make sure to subscribe. We post new videos every single week. And if you haven't already follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn under the handle outlier academy. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you right here with a brand new episode next Friday.